You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, church family. Welcome to uh, our Sunday services. For those of you who are visiting from uh, maybe around the world, glad you're here with us, really trusting and praying that God will use uh, today in powerful ways in our lives. Uh, Crazy, crazy, listen to this. It's been six weeks since we've been together as a church family, and uh, lots has happened in those six weeks. If you remember from before COVID began, we were in the book of Mark, and uh, Pastor Brett left us off so well in Mark chapter 8, and then we took a little bit of a break through the last few weeks to get our eyes on the reality of the great of our God and the perfect peace we can have in him. And then, of course, last week we went into Easter and celebrated together the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, once again being reminded that we serve a God who is simply alive today and reigns still. And so it's been a great uh, six weeks in spite of COVID and uh, of us drawing near to the Lord and trusting that we're just going to keep going in our relationship with him and even keep going through the book of Mark. And so we're going to continue on with the book of Mark today, the last part of chapter 8, and really kind of shift years in our series for the first uh, number of months in the book of Mark. We've been looking at vintage Jesus and seeing exactly who Jesus is and uh, what he came to be and do and uh, how he lived his life. And uh, and now we're going to shift gears to um, not just knowing who he is, but responding with uh, his call to now follow me. Jesus calls not just to see him and know him, but not to respond with the active obedience to follow him in all that we do in our lives. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 8 today, uh, verses 34. Four to 38, and we're going to heed the call of God to follow his absolute guidance in our lives. And one of the great things about COVID, to be honest with you, is that I think God has our full attention now. I think Jesus Christ is now has our full attention. And uh, with all that's been going on and him showing us our own mortality, the mortality of our loved ones, and showing us how vulnerable we are, and even taking away the facade of control that we think we have, uh, really he's not just whispering to us anymore. He is shouting to us the reality of his presence and calling us to an urgent following of him. And I know that we have different debates on whether uh, God orchestrated COVID or not, and we can debate that, but I know this, I know this, that God is using this to help us to stop and see him clearly. You know, sometimes in your homes, fathers, when there's chaos in your homes and people are, are not listening, you're trying to get their attention, sometimes you just have to let the boomer out, right? And like, stop it! Only to get their attention that then you can give them the message you want them to hear in a way that they are going to listen and respond. I believe that's what God is doing through COVID. He is calling us to see Jesus and calling us to respond in clear ways to his leading. And here's what God is speaking to us about as we look to him and his platform to speak. He is saying this today, stop running around, quit building your little empires, Time to listen up and get on my page or back on my page for your life. It's time to truly Invest fully in Jesus and his kingdom. This is what it says in Mark uh, chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Listen to what God tells us today uh, from his word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will, in fact, save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's pretty loud and clear, don't you think? If COVID is simply to get our attention that God would give us this message, then amen, we want to hear this and we want to know what God has for our lives. This is what God has for our lives. If you remember back to Pastor Brett's last sermon, which you probably won't, so let me remind you of, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you really say that I am? Well, here's what some people think, but then Peter says this in verse 29, you are the Christ." In other parallel passages about the same verses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is like, bam, Peter, you nailed it. And then he goes into this discourse of like, I am the Christ, and here's what I am going to do for you. Remember, he foretold his death and resurrection. Led so well into Easter, didn't it? He foretold his death and resurrection. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how my life is going to play out. This is what I actually came for. And then in the next part of this, in verses 34 to 38, he says, and this is the exact life that I am calling you to. I am asking you as my followers to share in the same life that I am now going to demonstrate for you of what pleases and honors the Lord. So he gets to this place and then he rallies his disciples around in verse 34. It says that he's calling the crowd to him with his disciples. It's not just a message for those who are close to him, it's a message for everybody. So you kind of picture this. It's the disciples. Jesus saying, I want to show you a little bit deeper what it is to truly follow me. But he says, hey, bring the crowds with you. They need to hear this too. It's sort of like in a, in a locker room, a sports locker room, NBA or NHL or, or NFL. And you know, what really goes on in that locker room? And you get the camera in there and you see the coach. You're like, oh, so this is what the coach really does. This is what the coach really rallies the troops to. This is Jesus saying, hey, I want you to know this, disciples. I want the whole world to know this. This is what it truly takes to follow me. I think what Jesus is telling the crowds here is, uh, as we've been tracking with him through Mark chapter uh, one, verse cha- Mark chapter one to chapter eight, Jesus is telling the crowds. So you're intrigued by my teaching, are you? You're mesmerized by my miracles. You're undoubtedly fascinated with the salvation I offer. But what I really want from you is not a superficial. You're awesome. I really want from you in response is your life. It's not really ultimately what I can do for the world or what I can do for you, what I really long for is a real relationship with you. It's a two-way street. It's not just, hey, look what Jesus can do for me. It's what can I also do for Jesus, like any real relationship, any striving, any thriving marriage, any friendship that lasts for a lifetime. There's a two-way commitment. It's not just about getting from somebody else. It's giving as well. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I want a real relationship in which you also, I've given you my life. I showed you on the cross how much I love you. I've sacrificed everything for you to show you my undying love. And now I want in return the exact same thing from you. You say you appreciate me. Well, then give me your life. Give me your life. More crucial than ever now in our times to ensure that we're truly following and completely connected to Jesus Christ. So he calls the crowds and disciples to him and he says this to them, you really want to be my disciple, you really want to take advantage of the whole reality of my presence and you want to be with me forever, well this is what it really looks like and this is what it takes. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
I've entitled this sermon here, My Undivided Pursuit of Jesus. This is what he longs for his followers. This is what he desires of his followers. This is what he calls his followers to, an undivided pursuit of Jesus. And what does that look like? It looks like right here, it's a radical discipleship as evidenced by these verses. Jesus calls me to a, a radical discipleship. He says, come and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's not this superficial like Red Rover, Red Rover, we call whoever over. This is, this is more of a like military call to join the ranks of Jesus, sign your life over to him and serve under his captaincy. This is what it truly means to follow Jesus. Let not the superficial messages you hear on the radio, uh, the Christian radio, dissuade you from the true message that God has for us and the, call, and the true life that God calls us to. Look what he says here, come after me. There's not an approval don't just say, I want to believe and I love what you've done for me. But no, no. How do you respond to the loving Jesus? You come after him. You commit to him as much as he's committed to you. True faith, real love, moves one to action. So Peter, you say that I am the Christ. Then what are you going to do about it? Here's a natural response to really believing that I am the Christ. Following me coming after me, be invested in his call. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus calls us to this life, and he says, I am the only way to the Father, and I'm going to show you the way to the Father, but you must be willing to follow me. Following Jesus isn't a passive deal, but an a, a actual a progressive, passionate following of him. How do we come after Jesus? We well, have to know the first step to coming after Jesus. It's repentance. It's turning from your sin. Repent was the first message Jesus preached. It was the message John the Baptist preached. In fact, eight, Acts 3.19, Jesus tells us, repent, turn from your sins, that they may be blotted out. Well, I want to come after Jesus. Here's the first step. Repent, turn from your sin, that they might be blotted out. And we do this as an act of faith. It's not because we're now going to earn our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which we know so well. We do this by faith, not because, so we can say, look what we've done, that no one can boast, that is a fully an act of God, but that's the first step in really coming after Jesus. Have you done that yet, brothers and sisters? Maybe this is the first time for some of you that you're really going to get to this place, you're like, okay, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. COVID's reminded you that you don't have any control that you thought you had, and so now's the time to truly get on your face and say, I repent by faith, God, be my Savior. I'm going to be done with my worldly living and my fleshly desires and my earthly pursuits. I truly want to know the way, the truth, and the life. It's turning from your sin. It's tuning into his life. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Not as turning from your sin, but tuning into his life. So often our lives are, are being led and guided by the melody of the world. And, and all the way the world, the, the beat of the world is what our beat is. And Jesus is saying, forget about that. You want to come after me? Forget about the beat of the world. But this is a call to tune into a whole new station, God's station, and start learning a different beat, the beat that God has, has put down for your life. And allow God to govern your life. Let the melody of righteousness and holiness capture your heart. Dance to the beat of truth and integrity. Already you're probably getting a little bit uneasy, and that's okay, that's okay. Think of how uneasy Jesus was on the cross for your life and my life. That's what true love does. It doesn't just sit back. It actually is 
has a gravitational pull to the one that you love, and this is the call of Jesus in our lives. Well, how do you do this then? How do you turn from your sin? How do you tune into his life? Well, it says it right here. It's three things very clearly. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's in essence saying, I am going to be done with myself, out with me, in with Jesus. Isn't it interesting? This is so countercultural for us. It's so counterintuitive to us. We're taught since we're little kids. What are we taught? Fight for your rights. Stand up for yourself. Let no one determine what your life is going to look like. You are the king of your domain. But the way the world's programmed us and all of our humanism, this is completely opposite. This is true spirituality in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying this. No, no don't fight for your, your rights. Lay down your rights. Quit fighting your, for your own way and entrust yourself to Jesus. It's not a give up personality type of thing. It's to disown completely all the rights to your life and sign your life over to Jesus Christ. Think about this. The disciples have already given up much. Remember their call back at the beginning of Mark? Leave your nets, leave your work, leave your business, leave your families, leave your loved ones, leave the comfort of your own homes and come follow me. I'm probably, they're probably thinking at this point, like, Jesus, really? Like, what else do I have to give up? But it's not give up something. It's a give up someone. It's a denial of yourself. In, in essence, it's, I'm not going to sit at the head of my table anymore. I'm going to invite Jesus into my house. I'm going to pull a chair out for him, and I'm going to let him have the head of the table of my, of my whole life, and I'm just going to take my rightful place at the other end of the table. One commentator says it this way. It's a shift from the center of gravity in life being a concern for yourself to a reckless abandon to the will of God. It's a shift from being concerned solely about yourself to a reckless abandon to the will of God, out with an infatuation with me and in with a fascination with he. And some of you are thinking, I've already done this, but it's not just a one and done type of thing. It's not just a say your prayer when you're six at summer camp and this is all you have to do. It's a constant, it's a constant reorienting your life to the reality of a denied life in Jesus Christ. You don't just say a prayer and your life just aims for God for the rest of your life. It's, it's like sailing. If you stop manning that sail and stop looking at your compass, you're just going to be off course. It's a daily, like, look at the compass, man the sail, get my life heading due north yet once again through the reality of denying myself. How do you pursue Jesus? You deny yourself. You be willing to lay down your life. Look what it says here. It says to take up your cross. To bear your cross, it's not like hooking up a little necklace around your neck every morning to bear your little cross, or it's not, even, it's not even putting up with all the hardships life brings you and all the times you trip and fall. Well, that's just bearing my cross. It's a hard life. That, that's not really it. When Jesus said, take up your cross, the people in his day knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about like carrying a 300-pound piece of timber that was hammered together and, and carrying that to your final resting place of absolute guilt and humiliation before the world to see. The cross was a Roman uh, way of, of putting to death the, the harshest of criminals and those who were guilty of insubordination against the government and, and 
It's the path Jesus was going to walk and a path that many of his followers have walked over the past number of years. Some scholars estimate 30,000 Jews suffered this same fate maybe in Jesus' day for their affinity to him. What Jesus is saying is you lay down your life for the will and the purpose of the Father. Kind of like a Braveheart style. It's, they may take our lives, they will never take our freedom as, as William Wallace said in Braveheart. This, this is though an even greater degree. They may take our lives, but they will never take my freedom in Jesus. I will never disown Jesus. I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ. The New Hampshire plate, live free or die. No, I live for Christ or I die. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to and it's sort of foreign for us, isn't it? Let's be honest well, you never know nowadays, the things are changing so quickly, but up until maybe the last six weeks, we never thought we'd ever have to die for our faith. And maybe we won't have to die for our faith. And I'm not saying go and stir the pot and intentionally create this scenario where you're getting beaten and, and bludgeoned for your faith. But what I am saying, the reality is, and it might be coming sooner than we thought, there might be a day where we are forced to choose, do I protect myself or do I follow Jesus? And followers of Jesus Christ are willing to follow Jesus quickly, more quickly than they protect themselves. Our faith isn't supposed to be a hallmark faith of the reality of these nice little sentiments and mushy sayings. The reality of our faith is self-sacrificing. As William Penn wrote from prison in the Tower of London, no cross, no crown. Think about that. Not just a simple little prayer of, I agree, no cross, no crown. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Here's a third thing. Be zealous in your pursuit of Jesus. Follow Jesus with all of your heart. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's be honest, we follow a lot of people in the world now, don't we? Social media, we, older folks, I'll put myself in that category, Facebook, younger folks, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm not even sure what that means, but that's a, that's a real thing apparently. We follow a lot of people and we check in with a lot of people. We know it's going on in a lot of people's lives, but how, how much do we really follow Jesus in that same vigilance, that same exuberance? How much do we know? We should be knowing more about Jesus than any other person in this life. We should be studying him in his word and talking to him through prayer and checking in with him and almost stalking him. Following Jesus is the call upon our lives. We just, Jesus doesn't just save us. Now we walk our own path and do our own thing. Jesus saves us to a life of following him. Back when I was first going to college out west at Briarcrest in Saskatchewan, my parents would uh, come up and get me sometimes, or we'd caravan out there and caravan back. And going through the big cities, my dad would always say simply this. He'd say, son, when we get to Chicago, all you do is follow me. Forget your maps. We didn't have GPS back then. Forget your maps. Keep your eyes on my car. I will lead you through. And my goodness, we get to the outskirts of Chicago. I was on his tail so close. I, thought, I think sometimes he thought I was going to rip his bumper off. But I tell you this, throughout all of Chicago, I would not leave his tail. I followed him. I was adamant that there was one thing on my agenda, and that would be to keep my eyes on my dad and to follow him right through, trusting he was going to lead me in the best path in the right way. This is exactly what Jesus is calling us to here when he says follow him. He's calling us to not take our eyes off him, know that if we lose him, we're going to be completely lost. Maybe it sounds a little different than what you thought the Christian life really was. But it's these nice little sayings on crocheted pillows and nice little Instagram pictures and nice little Facebook posts. Isn't that Christianity? That, 
That maybe inspires our Christianity, but this is true Christianity. This is what Jesus died for, that you would, that he would have not just your sentiments, but your whole lives. Sounds intense, doesn't it? It sounds overwhelming. Does Jesus have the right to call me to this type of life? Does he have the right to, don't forget what we've already learned in Mark, he is the son of the living God. And don't also forget this that we studied last weekend. He's not willing to call us to anything he's not willing to go through himself. Jesus lived this life of self-denial, of taking up his cross and following his heavenly father. And so what he's doing in this text is inviting us to join him and participate in the life that he lived while he was here on this earth. He's not commanding us necessarily, he's calling us. Don't forget this, brothers and sisters, that Jesus lived a life of self-denial. Let me give you scriptures to drive this home. Jesus is saying, participate with me in the life that God has called us to as fully devoted followers of him. Jesus lived a life of self-denial. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. What a great example for us, but the will of him who sent me. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 4, 34, Jesus said to, him, to them this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is what these passages really mean. Jesus didn't call us to just call us. He showed us the way. Jesus lived a life of self-denial. Jesus also shouldered his own cross. John chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus bore his cross after being beaten and ridiculed and starved and mocked. Crown of thorns on his head, they put 300-pound cross on his shoulders and said, now carry your own cross to the place where we're going to execute you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. You want to know me? You want a relationship with me? Then be like me and carry your cross. Jesus also obediently followed his father. Jesus mentions obedience in John chapter 5, verse 19. He said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, so the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. John 14, 31, But I do as the father has commanded me. This is Jesus saying this. But I do as the father has commanded me, showing us the way of obedience. In John chapter 15, 10, If you keep my commands... If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Notice this, God showers his love, but how do we abide in it? By keeping his commands. Just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. This, brothers and sisters, is the blueprint for life truly found in Jesus Christ and found satisfied in God, which is our true ultimate satisfaction. Christian life is this. It's commitment over convenience. Ready and willing and able to answer the call of God in my life, in my family, 
in my church, in my community. It's, it's I, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to put myself aside to truly serve Christ. It means I'm going to love God even when it hurts and when life doesn't make sense. It means I'm going to serve Jesus even when it cramps my style and it's out of my comfort zone. It's determined to build his kingdom over mine. Here's what a pursuit of Jesus looks like. It's an obedience over an obstinance. It's an everyday sort of thing. It's an everyday, it's an immediate and all-encompassing. It's it's, we do have, we don't like this word a lot, but we do have a duty in our lives to live according to the commands and the calling of God. In fact, 1 John 2 Verse 3 tells us, actually the whole book of 1 John tells us that we know we love Jesus if we obey his commands even when we don't feel like it. It's this reality, brothers and sisters, having this mindset that I am here for God more than he is here for me. I am here for God more than he is here for me. Do you think that way? Do you pray that way? Keep me safe. Make me comfortable. Make me prosperous. Or do we pray, God, here I am. Take me and use me. Whatever you want, wherever you lead, I'm willing, I'm able. I want to be here to serve you and make much of your name, not my own name. I surrender, God, to your desires for my life. It's also this, though. It's being excited over being exasperated. Some of you right now are like, this is an exasperating call on your life, and you're super uncomfortable. Maybe you're prone to turn this thing off right now, which is super easy compared to being in church and walking out. So let me encourage you with this. Don't turn it off right now. Jesus has our attention. He's telling us what it really is to follow him and, and get this. It's not being exasperated at his commands. It's being excited about joyfully following him because we know that this is the way, this is the truth, and this is the life. This is our full meaning and fulfillment. God's created us to have joy only in his love, only in his presence, as we completely follow him in the way he designed life to be. This is where life is found. And so we excitedly join God in the purposes he has for our lives and our world, saying, God, what an honor and privilege is to do life in you your way the way you designed it to be. And so though it is the duty, it is also delight for the follower of Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy than knowing the truth of God's word and living in it. That's where freedom is found. And that's where your life is found. In bringing glory to God in this way, how do I know that? Because look at the next verse. For those of you who think that this is too much to ask, and I'd rather hold on to my life than give it to Jesus. Look what it says in verse 35. Notice this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will actually save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Do you hear those? Do you hear that? What Jesus is telling us is, even though it seems counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, the way we truly find our lives is by losing it in him. Giving up my life, 
according to the call of God, is the only way. It's not the best way. It's the only way to truly find it and live as you were designed to live. Sounds difficult. Sounds tough. But there's a, think of the other side of that. There's a lot of consequences here. There's a lot at stake here. Whoever wants to save his life is actually going to lose it. You try and save your life, you're actually going to lose it. You try and live for yourself and live for this world, you're actually going to lose your life. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the good news, will actually save it. It's like this. You ever been to the beach and you try to take a big handful of sand? And you try to get as much in that little palm as you can and you scoop it up. And what happens to that sand is if you've got a good mittful, it inevitably slides through your fingers, right? And it slides over the sides. You can't really contain it, right? That's sort of like life. And it's slowly trickling by us. Day by day, it's trickling by us. But have you ever tried to then grasp that handful of sand and hold all of that sand at once? You try and grasp that sand. And you know what? It just spills everywhere. And all you're left with is a little bit of trickle of sand in the palm of your hand. And in essence, the whole handful of sand is gone. That's the same. When we take our soul, which is our life, and try to hold tightly to our lives, the more we squeeze, the more it oozes out of us. And before you know it, you've been trying to save your life and protect your life and hold your life, and it is absolutely dwindled away to nothing. Notice the words being used here. Save your life, you're going to lose it. Give it up, you're going to gain it. You're going to attain the whole world but yet you forfeit your soul. It's a loss. Your soul is the most precious thing you have. And look at the words, profit and gain and forfeit. These are commercial rather than judicial words, meaning there's something to gain and lose. And what to gain and lose is your most precious asset, your life. You have one shot at this life. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. It's going to be over before you know it. Don't give in to the temptation to think that all there is to this life is this world. So alluring, isn't it? The things of this world. Satan dangles them in front of us like a, a lure before a fish, and it's so shiny and it's so beautiful, and you're, you're, you're prone to come and grab on, only to find that that's just a hook that drags you away and drags you uh, away from the freedom and the, and the life that God has intended for you. Or what temptation we have to Grab on to the world and bite the philosophies of the world and forget about Jesus. This is so hard. I just want to live life, but this is the way we truly live life. This is the only way to truly live life. Don't buy in, brothers and sisters, to the reality that this is all there is in this life, this world. It's not all there is. It's not just about buddies and bucket lists and blossoming careers and building, a, building our portfolios. It's about loving and serving Jesus and loving and serving others and making a difference in this world for God's kingdom. Honestly, COVID's been good for us in so many ways because it reminded us that, man, the things of this world are fleeting. They're here today and gone tomorrow and, and all the things that we hold dearly, they don't even matter anymore when potential of us getting sick and our loved ones getting sick. Like, well, all that really matters is Jesus Christ. So in the midst of this trial and this pandemic, I think the good out of it can come is that we really heed the call of God throughout all the scriptures and get our eyes on him and give our lives fully to him to truly save our lives in a spiritual sense and also a physical sense. 
Because when we pass from this life with Jesus, we are going to be with him forever in a physical reality. Sure brings pastors alive that we've known all along, but we've sort of like glossed them over. Pastors like Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Oh, we're so good at looking for treasures, aren't we? We're treasure hunters. We are treasure hunters. We've got our little like beep, 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 find, find treasure. I found it, found it. Only fun, there's nothing there. That's what the world is. Found it, actually, there's nothing. It's just a little piece of metal. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world. We can appreciate the world, but we don't love the world. We put our stock in the world. We don't, we, don't, we don't hug the world and hold so close to the world. Why? Why? Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this world is passing away, the scripture says, along with its desires. But who does, whoever does the will of God abides forever. You have to know, brothers and sisters, we weren't made to be here forever. This world is temporary. It's not all there is. There's a far greater reality coming. You're created to live in Christ, Christ-centered, sacrificial lives, created to live for something more than this world has to offer that is just fleeting and passing away. Your true joy comes from investing in not now, but in eternity. How do you know if you're actually living for the world and not for Jesus? We can say all the right things and be living all the wrong ways. How do we know if our hearts are truly invested in this call of God to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus, and not forfeit our souls to the things of the earth, but actually find them for all of eternity? How do you know? Here's four questions you can ask yourself that I've been asking myself over the last six weeks, not just the last week, but last six weeks. Here's some questions to, to really navigate this in your heart. Like, am I really all into Jesus? Like, I maybe worship him on Sundays, like I claim throughout the rest of the week. Am I really all in? Here's, here's some questions to ask yourself. Am I living for the acclaim of others or for the audience of one, God himself? Am I living to draw attention to myself or to elevate Jesus Christ? Am I living to accumulate more for my own little kingdom purposes or am I accumulating so that I can give to the kingdom of God and build his kingdom? Am I living to attain life here on earth thinking this is all there is? Or am I living for the greater reality of all of eternity? You have to care about these questions. You have to care about what Jesus says because there's a lot at stake. It's your soul. The same soul that Jesus died for, the same soul that he bought back from Satan, that he purchased from the world for his very own, for all those who will turn to him in faith and repentance and truly trust him and truly follow him. This is the path to life that is abundant, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. This is the path to abundant life that your soul truly longs for and can only be found in Jesus.
urgent times, real times. God is shouting his existence into your life, I pray even today, and calling you to himself. Grapple with those questions. Get real before God. Ask God to renew in you a desire for the greatest treasure uh, that this world has ever offered, and that is Jesus Christ. Matthew 13. Be willing to trade everything for the, the great pearl of infinite value, Jesus Christ. And that's where you find your life. Here's the last thing we see in this, the last verse here. You want to pursue Jesus with all that you have? Then pursue him like nothing else matters, knowing this, that now is the time, not the time to be shy about Jesus. Now is not the time to be shy about Jesus. Look what it says here. I don't know, it's a steep price, the cost is high. Don't know if I can actually do it. Notice what it says here in verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words is adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, the reality of whether you're truly following Jesus or not comes from the fact of whether, whether you'll stand with him in this sinful and adulterous world or whether you're going to be ashamed of him and shy away from him when the rubber meets the road. Whoever's ashamed of me. You think of being ashamed of someone. It's not just this feeling of a little bit of embarrassment and insecurity. This is really like ashamed of me as in like denying me like Peter denied me, walking away from me, turning from me. Whoever's ashamed of me. In other words, those of us who, who enjoy walking with Jesus and then we see somebody else coming across, coming down the street, we quickly run across the street. We quickly run across the street and pretend that we don't even know him. We go to work and we talk about everything but Jesus. We... Figure out a way to say grace at the restaurant without closing our eyes and making our lips move, we become ventriloquists. We're super shy to have anyone know that I serve a risen Savior. Regardless of how loud we worship on Sunday and how much we read our Bibles, being ashamed of Jesus means identifying with Jesus. I know it's a hard call, but he's willing to identify with us. Will you identify with him? That's a true relationship. If you're ashamed of me in this sinful and adulterous generation, this adulterous and sinful generation, that's pretty obvious. The world is not getting better around us. It's actually turning further away from Jesus. Sinful, we know what sinful is. It's not just missing the mark. It's, it's total rebellion against God. Adulterous generation, we know what adultery means. When a husband or wife cheats on their spouse, they go and sleep around with somebody else. That's the, that's the, the mortal sin, right? And, how could they do that? They're so, you've given them all your love. How could they do that? And yet, that's what the world is doing. They're pimping themselves out to idols. They're pimping themselves out to themselves. And they're doing exactly what Gomer did to Hosea in the book of Hosea. I love you, but I'm going to have all my cake and eat it too. And that's what the world is doing, and by being ashamed of Jesus, that's what you're doing if you're being ashamed of Jesus. If you're going to live like that, know this, the Son of Man is also going to be ashamed or reject you when he comes in the glory of his Father, the holy angels. But I repented of my sin, and I had the Holy Spirit living within me. Well, if you've done that, then this is not going to be your reality. The Holy Spirit won't allow that. 
You're, you're truly saved today. You know that you can't help but stand up for Jesus. You can't help but identify with him. You can't help but shout his name from the mountaintop, especially in this time. As the world gets so much darker, guess what? Guess what? The light of Jesus has been shining bright all the time. It shines so much brighter in people's eyes. We're going to be quick to tell the world that there's an answer that's far greater than having a cure for COVID. It's far greater than, than having all our freedoms back, be able to meet with people again. There's an answer to their lives that we ought to be longing for. The answer is Jesus Christ. He solves the, 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 the virus of sin that's crippling us and demolishing us. He, he solves the separation problem between us and God. That's what the world needs to hear right now. Not a false hope, but the real hope that we have an eternal Savior who promised to deliver us from sin from this broken, messed up world into a paradise with him forever and ever and to guide us through this life every step of the way until we get there. Now's not the time to be ashamed of Jesus. The megaphone is blaring. People are looking and listening and longing for hope. Now's our time, believers, to stand up and share the reality of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus, the assurance of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, that the world will turn to know him as Lord and Savior. Now's not the time to shut up. Now's the time to shout out the reality of Jesus. How do we do that with social distancing? I tell you how you do that. I'm not a big social media guy, but now's the time to use it. Now's the time to use it. Share with your family and friends via text and via, and via um, social media venues. Put Jesus in conversations. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give account for the hope that I pray you do have in this time because this COVID thing, like it can steal our lives, but it can't steal our lives in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna live forever, so that's a great news. As fear comes up in conversation, point people to hope you have in Jesus Christ. As you notice, as you notice people struggling around you, come alongside them with help, but also with the hope of Jesus Christ. Not to hammer people, yeah, they need to know the bare bones truth for sure, but to, as Spurgeon says, give them honey with it as well. Make it sweet in their ears and, and, and sweet in their, 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 their taste buds. The reality is we have what the world needs and they are looking like never before. This is a great time to be alive. This is maybe a time of great revival, great turning. Maybe even you're one of those people that, that you're tuning in today. You've never actually turned and, and humbled yourself under Jesus Christ. This whole COVID thing is God's grace to you to bring you to himself. If you don't know Jesus today, now's the time to get on your knees and ask God, God, I am a sinner. I need a savior. I need hope beyond this world. I need to stop investing in this world, invest in you. I want to not just live forever, uh, but I want my, my, my legacy to impact people forever. I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe some of you today are like the ship that you said your prayer and you thought that thing was just going to sail off into the sunset and you've never really stopped to reorient your life to Jesus Christ and maybe your ship is now like not just a couple degrees off. It's like, it's like, it's like 15 degrees off and you're heading totally a different direction than Jesus Christ. Now's the time to say, Jesus, I'm heeding your voice. I'm listening to your call. I know you're all in for me. I will return to being all in for you. Forgive me of my sin. Bring me back, oh Lord. I want a relationship with you to be restored like nothing else. That's your action point from today's sermon. Maybe you're there and you're living and loving Jesus Christ with all that you have. 
and you're striving so hard to come after Jesus, deny yourself and follow him and, and save your soul by giving it to Jesus Christ. This is just a call to you to keep going on the same path, to not give up, not give in, to keep pursuing Jesus Christ with all that you have. That's what God has designed for our lives as believers. That's where the fullness of life and meaning has been found as we give our everything to Jesus Christ. As we lose our lives in this world, as we give them to Jesus, we will find them in greater ways than we could have ever had them before. This is Jesus' call. Are you listening this morning? Are you eager and ready to get on God's page and reorient your life to him and live your life fully in surrender to Jesus Christ? It's God's call on me. It's God's call on you for ultimately his glory and the true saving of our souls and the finding of life. Let me pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word, which is so powerful in our lives. Thank you for the season, God, which is getting us off of the things of the world and onto you. Father, I pray this morning, very simple prayer. God, would you draw many unbelievers to yourself for the first time? Would there be much repentance, much faith being distributed right now by your Holy Spirit among people? And God, would you, would you, would you save souls this morning? God, would you draw the wanderer back? Would you, would you bring people who've never maybe been fully committed to you back? They've been dabbling, they've been in, they've been out, but never fully committed. Father, would today be the day they'd fully commit their lives to you? And Father, for those that are pursuing you the best way they know how with all they have, empower them, Lord. Empower them to continue to forsake the world and pursue Jesus. Empower them, Lord, to know the fullness of your love and your mercy and grace. Empower them, Lord, to know the fullness of life that you have given them in Jesus Christ. Give them freedom. Give them joy. And give them your presence as they navigate through this life for your honor. Bless us this morning, Lord. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the word. May your word now not return void for the fame of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.